quickly so that I can um, do a brief introduction for our guest speaker today and then to be the pleasure of having a chance to hear more directly. So welcome to our grand finale of our Leadership Workshop Speakers in Courage series this year. During the course of this year, we have explored and heard from a series of speakers who have challenged us, delighted us, brought us new insights, and helped us to think big ideas. We met Mr. Ruben Steyer, who shared with us his experience as a Holocaust survivor, who continues to bring a message of truth and the value of life of each person to many, many young people. We learned from Mary Sheen Warren, who's a professor of fashion marketing and author of It's So You, and a personal fashion consultant. She taught us the art of the handshake and making connections with all those we encounter. We dreamt about summer in January and learned valuable lessons from Ms. Bowles and Ms. Monica Meehan about ideas and creative ways to use summertime. Dr. Leonard Sachs challenged our thinking of our use of social media. And Dr. Arthur Brooks expanded our minds with connecting the world's great composers to life lessons that he learned to guide him on his journey through music performance to sharing new and creative ways of looking at the world. And finally today, our journey concludes but begins anew with welcoming Alev Kelter, who will share her inspiring story of her journey to the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio. And Kelter credits her faith as a profound inspiration and motivator in her athletic career. She says, I play rugby, sports for that matter, because I was blessed with a talent that God provided me from a young age. I made a pact with God at 14 years old that I would offer up all my athletics as a platform to inspire and motivate. I wanted to make an Olympic team because I know that's the biggest platform to reach others and share God's will. Alev Kelter hails from a U.S. Air Force family. Having moved four times before middle school, she has two brothers and a twin sister. At age eight, her family settled in Alaska, where her talents propelled her to elite status on several U.S. national teams. A dual-sport athlete, she played ice hockey and soccer at the University of Wisconsin, where she studied fine arts. Kelter was introduced to the sport of rugby at age 22. She went on to excel in rugby and landed a seat on Team USA's women's inaugural seven squad at the Rio 2016 Olympic Summer Games. Kelter was the number one scorer for Team USA, as well as the first American woman to ever score in rugby at the Olympic Games. And I have great, the great pleasure of welcoming Aleph Kelter. Thank you. 
So I am a twin sister, and my name means Layla. Oh, sorry, my name is Layla Lev Kelter, and Layla means beginning of the night, and Lev means flame. You're like, oh, what language? Oh, it's Turkish. So my mom's side's Turkish and German, and my dad's side's Irish and Italian. So I look very Irish, speak like an Italian. I guess I fight like a Turk. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I haven't tested it out, but you can ask my twin sister. Um, Daria, my twin's name is Daria Layla Kelter. And you're wondering, okay, very, very good. But you both have Layla. Layla in our family is generational. So the firstborn in each, uh, firstborn female is Layla, named Layla. But when you have twins, you're kind of going, okay, rock, paper, scissors, who's going to be Layla? And I was supposed to be born first, but my sister beat me out. Um, she flipped at the last minute, and my mom had to have a C-section, and she came out first. So I lost that competition. <laughs> but this is key because I'm no less of a human being because I came out second. Okay, keep that in mind. I lost that competition, but I'm no less of a human being because I came out second. Okay? So, uh, when we grew up, we were very competitive, and it started from the womb, that competition, but we grew up playing six different sports, and sports in our life was everything, except my parents thought differently. They said, you are a student before an athlete, and if you want to play sports, you'll get good grades. I'm eternally thankful that they instilled that in us at a young age. When we were, I think, in middle school, I think I played six different sports. It was swimming, tennis, ice hockey, soccer, baseball with my brother, and a little bit of flag football. Um, every time I say those six different sports, the sports change because I can't remember how many we played. When I was in high school, the two of us decided through a lot of different coaches and mentors that we should just specialize in one sport. And my mom said, you're so passionate about both ice hockey and soccer. I don't want you to get burnt out in one sport. Play as many as you can until you try out for the national team, until you decide where you want to go for college and what sports you want to play. So that was definitely a great advice from her, to play as many sports as you can until those doors close and you move on. So I said, all right. When I was 14, I was the first time that I was able to try out from a regional level to the national level. So in high school, um, some of you might know this, there's like Olympic Development Program, ODP for soccer. Um, and in hockey, there's a region, regional district level that you have to try out at a high school level, and then you try out at the regional level in your state, and then you try out at the national level um, to make the national team. So when I was 14, how many of you are 14 right now? Raise your hands. Okay. So when I was 14, it was the first opportunity as an Alaskan that I could try out for this, these national team programs. And basically they're youth national programs um, to get you ready for a potential Olympic pathway. And I think that's awesome um, to have you know, young uh, athletes getting ready and to, you know, to develop yourself um, playing internationally, getting, you know, speaking engagements at a young age and doing, um, you know, service work with your teammates. Um, when we were at, I remember when we traveled to Costa Rica, we visited different orphanages and we did outreach and service all through playing soccer 
which was awesome. And, and I was able to travel around the world playing on these different regional teams um, in soccer, in both ice hockey. So when I was 14, you say, why is this such a big year? Well, it's the first year that after playing six sports, I said, okay, God, whatever sport I make the furthest in, I'll do it for you. That was my pact. I said, all right, I know you've given me some amazing gifts and talents, but if you want me to do it for you and to do it professionally, I'll continue to do it, whichever sport you want, for the longest amount of time for you. And that was the first year that I made both national teams for ice hockey and soccer. And I was like, two? <laughs> you want me to do two? Uh, and that's when I made that pact and I said, all right, I know this is going to be a challenge, but living out your word and your, your dream for me is not going to be easy. And I think you've heard that too. Being Catholic in this world isn't going to be easy, but it's going to be a ride worth a lifetime. So I said, all right, I'll do this for you. I'll, I'll, everything you know, will be a little challenging, but I'll offer it up for you and I'll keep moving. And to me, like that was never an outward thing. I never said, oh, by the way, I've got to do this because God made me. It was a very internal um, path that I made, and that kind of drove me to playing the highest level in hockey and the highest level in soccer. And soccer, if you can imagine, in Alaska, how many months out of the year can we play outside? So we played most of it indoors on a small turf field, but we had to travel a lot. So we traveled all over the United States, um, especially in Southern California, um, where we you know, got seen and scouted. And that was most of my high school was kind of leaving class and saying, sorry, I'll finish this work. And I'll take this test abroad, but um, I'm, I'm trying out for the national teams and I'm trying out for or getting seen for colleges. And I remember uh, playing in a tournament and I had emailed different coaches to come watch, which is the process to get recruited um, for different colleges. And that whole environment of getting recruited for colleges after being uh, on the youth national teams, it's, it's really daunting. Um, you have to be extremely confident in your abilities to perform when these coaches show up. And you have to be, um, I guess, confident in you know, the coaching, the coaching staff watching you that you want to go to those schools. So at a young age, I mean, for me, it was, I think, freshman year of high school, I contacted um, a lot of different Ivy League universities to come and watch me play. And I was so nervous playing in those tournaments um, that I asked the coach, I said, I, I don't know if I can play because I'm so nervous that these, these teams are watching me. And, and they said, the best, I think, advice that they said is that you've done this your whole life. You've trained, you've prepared, just trust it. And it gave me a little bit of um, a relief, but I was still so nervous. And um, I had the ninth graders here earlier. Can you guys raise your hand? Yes. Thank you so much for your questions. That was awesome. And um, they, they ask this question, when you're nervous, what do you do? For me, I listen to music. And it has to be calm music, because I'll, otherwise I'll get too crazy and excited and I'll, I'll run around like a chicken with my head cut off. But for me,
me, it's nice to have calm music. And, you know, I have a little bit of Ed Sheeran, maybe, and, you know, a little bit of smooth jazz, or, you know, that helps me calm down to get ready to play. And I, and I do a lot of visual, visualization. So, the night before, I lay on my uniform, and not my hockey uniform, gosh, that stinks. Um, on my soccer, when I'm about to play for soccer, I, I lay on my uniform, I have my socks laid out, and, you know, my shorts laid out, my, my jersey laid out, and I, and I lay there on my bed and I'm thinking of everything that could go in that game. So I'm thinking of the corner kicks, I'm thinking of the, you know, making a break in the center midfielder and connecting these passes. Um, everything is visual. And I think that you guys, if you haven't thought of that practice, it's extremely fruitful. And as you start to visualize maybe going to the school you dream of or, you know, doing well in that rehearsal or that dance recital or singing certain music, if you visualize it, it will happen. And it's the positive mentality of as these doubts creep in when you're playing or when you're, you're on stage, you understand that you've seen it before. You've been able to somehow control your emotions in that and let go of that doubt and kind of move to the present moment. And I, I have a lot of help. People say, do you, you know, have a sports psychologist or do you, you work on staying present and being mindful? And for me, I say yes. I mean, we have a team sports psychologist that works with us every week. And we do, you know, 10 minutes of, of mindfulness and we're sitting there working on our breathing and, you know, it kind of seems silly, but in the moment, the heat of the moment, the win and losing of that of those games, I mean, the, the moments that win and lose those games is margin of 30 seconds to a minute. The difference of that and how you can be so focused and so in tune in that 30 seconds when you're exhausted and you have no more in the tank and there's all these distractions around you. How can you come back? And how can you be more present and do what you need to do in that moment? And that you need to practice. And for me, people say, oh, you need to sit there and, and meditate for 10 minutes or whatever. I say, I just pray. Because that's exactly what we're doing. We're sitting there, we're deep breathing. We have a lot of distractions, but we acknowledge them and we move on, right? If you're praying, you're not listing what you're gonna do that day. You're sitting there being present with our Lord. And if you can understand that Praying is essentially helping you be mindful and living each moment day to day, then you'll be successful in whatever you do. And so when I was in college, I really, really understood what that means to pray and what that means to, to understand to be present with our Lord and to sit in front of, um, you know, whether it's adoration or in the Mass, to really not think about what I'm going to be doing after Mass or what I'm going to be thinking about after I'm done with my 30 minutes or you know, to think about just being fully present with our Lord and knowing that if these distractions come, I fully can acknowledge them because we're human, their distractions will come. I acknowledge it, I say thank you, and I let it go. And that too, in the heat of my, you know, intense rugby matches, I have a lot of self-doubt. I have a lot of distractions that are trying to creep in. I say, okay, I'm human, these are natural, I'm going to acknowledge it, and then I'm going to let it go. And so what better practice to do anything um, that first, you know, that you want to be successful in than, than to pray. And um, that's, I guess now I'm going to move on. <laughs>
Um, you got that. Um, when I was in college, uh, I had an opportunity to uh, try out for the Olympic ice hockey team. So from 14 up until 18, I was training full full time with both national youth national teams. So each maybe every other month we were going abroad somewhere like Germany or you know, France and you know Costa Rica and, and getting to travel the world, which was amazing. Um, also, uh, I missed a lot of school, so I learned how to time manage, you know, studying and uh, prioritizing with school. You know how important school was, and even though sports were taking me all around the world. I knew that if any injury happened or you know, something drastic you know, came about, that school was my number one priority. That I'm not always going to be an athlete for the rest of my life, but I need to develop my academics so I can have a career after sports. And that was instilled in me at a young age. And so I understood that there's more to, um, I guess, life than, than athletics, which when I was younger was all, all my life. <laughs> So um, that's also another little coming coming of age thing that happened. So when I was in, I kind of go all over the place. So if I'm jumping from place to place, you have to forgive me. But when I was in college, I realized, um, I guess, that there was opportunity beyond the youth national team that I wanted to to make it to the highest level. And again, I said, remember that pact at 14. Um, I'm gonna do this as long as possible until you close this door. And it was amazing that Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin-Madison had both ice hockey and soccer division one. And they had an amazing academic program as well. And I, in the process of getting recruited, you have five unofficial visits and five official visits where colleges pay you to come and check out their school because they want to recruit you. And that's an unbelievable opportunity I was really blessed to have. And I saw the Harvards, the Yales, the Browns, the, you know, all over um, different Ivy League schools. And my last stop that I made was to Wisconsin. And I remember it was in Thanksgiving, and there was a lot of, um, you know, leaves on the ground, and it was beautiful, but there was no students. <laughs> and I said, okay, um, let's, usually when you do an official visit, you do the life, uh, a day in the life of an athlete at that school. I didn't have the chance to do that in Wisconsin. But what I did is I met with the academic advisor and I met with the coaches. And they, the just three of them, outlined my entire five years that I would have at, at the University of Wisconsin and how organized they were of me playing both hockey and soccer, Division One, and getting an art degree. And I said, I want to I go here. And it felt like home. People around the area were um, very much, I guess they were so encouraging that it was not only an academic school, but an amazing athletic school. And I was so passionate about both that that's why I chose that school. But the whole process is scary and crazy, and that's normal. But you have to trust that um, God will show you where you need to go and, and trust and take risks that um, you can, you can power through those you know, disappointments and whether it was you know getting into school not the school you wanted or you know making the not making the team that you wanted just trust that God has your back. So I went to Wisconsin and I trained with the um, national teams throughout that college process and my fifth year 
I decided to not play soccer anymore and just focus on hockey. And that was interesting because the next year was Sochi Olympics for hockey. So I said, I just want to practice. I want to just do just hockey right now, and I'll finish up my soccer after the Olympics. That was my dream, was making the Olympics. And I was actually um, teaching at Metro with inner city kids in Chicago when I got the call to come and train with the full national team for hockey. And I ended up training all summer for hockey and playing with the boys and just trying to get as much um, in as possible. And I went to that August camp and it was the best camp I've ever had. And you'd say, Lev, like, you know, they're definitely going to call you up in December, which is when they chose the team um, before and then they go on tour all around the U.S. and then end in, in uh, Sochi. So, come August, I had an amazing camp. December, never got the phone call. And to, that's how they tell you whether you're coming to a camp or not, is by phone. It's not like a list where you look at it. It's literally, you get a phone call or you don't. And even though I had what I thought was the best tournament in August, I never got that phone call come December. And it was devastating. And I was, I put everything on hold, I put soccer on hold, I put, you know, I didn't put my academics on hold because you can't really do that. <laughs> but I wanted to, and I was devastated. And the thing about um, this was, I had dreamed to play in the Olympics, and now that was crushed. That was what I was feeling. And I would say I went into maybe a little bit of a depressed state. I didn't want to get up in the morning. I didn't want to go to school. I, I stopped showing up to my art classes. And the, you know, I, I, I was late to practices. It was kind of everything was on a down, downhill spiral. And you know, as in hindsight, I'm like, Lev, you had so much going for you. There's so much that you could have used to just say, stay positive. But in that state, for me, in that disappointment, it was really hard to see that. And so my art teacher said, Lev, this isn't you. You need to go home. You need to get, you know, go see some psychologists and you need to understand what your life means to you. You know, you need to see where, where did Lev go? Where did the Lev we know go? And so I saw, I, saw, I saw some sports psychologists and, you know, a lot of them helped me through, you know, just getting over, you know, being frustrated and understanding that not everything is, was, was riding on that, you know, that athletic, um, you know, scholarship and not everything. Sports weren't just life. There were so many firsts I had before that and that I was, you know, no less of a human being because I came out second. That's what to Alaska. I came back to Alaska to, to snowboard and to just kind of take in the mountains, take in the beauty, to come back to the truths that made me. And, um, you know, I was able to see my family. I was able to, like, regroup. And I was snowboarding down that mountain. And this is Mount Alaska. And this is the first time that I said, um, I'm going to snowboard this mountain with abandon. I have nothing to lose. I'm going to get hit every single jump and I'm gonna try a backflip, I'm gonna try something crazy, and I'm just not gonna care. And before that, I had signed my life away on contract saying I can't do anything crazy to get injured because I'm under a sports scholarship. 
And, and so this is, I'm, I'm kind of in this free zone here. And of course it was the best powder day Alaska's ever had in like six years. So I was very safe, you know, like you're crazy. No, it wasn't going too crazy, but I did try this backflip off this side of this, this cliff. And I've been snowboarding my whole life, so it's something very soothing to me and, and something beautiful that I can just find peace in the mountains and, and the beauty of Alaska. I tried this backflip and I landed face first. I just remember laying in the snow, and it's freezing cold. And I was like, by myself, I was like, I can just lay here, and no one will know, I won't have to get up. And then I started thinking, uh, your twin would miss you. <laughs> She'd kill you if you just didn't get up. <laughs> and then I started thinking, she would already have probably landed that backflip and been up the mountain by now, on her second run, whizzing by me, going, where are you? Get up! And, you know, she was always this go-getter, and she'd always the one that picked me up and we were down. And literally, I think, you know, God puts these people in your life for a reason. And I started thinking about all the fun times we had competing against each other and building tree forts and, you know, in the woods and, 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 and trying out on the different boys' teams because there was no girls' teams and just being, you know, kind of crazy. And I got back up and I said, you know, Daria, like, in my mind, I was like, yeah, you're lucky you came out first. Because I was ready. I was ready to win that competition. And I realized that that no wasn't going to define me. That no, you didn't make that Olympic team. That no, you didn't get that chance in December. That wasn't going to define me as a person. Because I realized that coming out second, you know, I didn't make me a loser. That just because I came out second, I was no less of a human being. And that started to, to transcend this. You got this. That's okay. Go back down the mountain, get warmed up because I was freezing at this point. <laughs> and I got I went back into the lodge and I had a missed call. And the missed call went something like this. Hey love, this is Rick Suggett from USA Rugby. I got your phone number from a high school flag football teammate of yours. Her name is Lloyd Clifford. Hopefully you know of her. If not, I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you would you be interested in playing rugby? And if so, give me a call. And I and you know I I think it's my twin sister playing a prank on me, one of her guy friends. She's like, this will be really funny. Like, let's call her, say hello. And I call my mom and I say, hey, like, do you know if Gary called me earlier? She goes, oh, no, you know, she's in studying right now or whatever. And I said, okay, um, are you, what do you think about rugby? She goes, no, it's so violent, no way. <laughs> and I said, no, no, it's okay. Like, I think, you know, Amy Brownlee used to play, my friends growing up used to play. They always wanted me to try it, try it out, but I was always under contract with Wisconsin or, you know, different club here, club, club teams. And she said, well, Lev, if, it, if you want to try out for this national team, if you want to try out, give rugby a try. And you're, you're passionate about it, I'll support you. And that, to me, was really beautiful because, for me, when mom's happy, life's happy. <laughs> um, but also, I wanted her blessing. I wanted to say, like, I've done all these sports for you guys. I've, I've literally, you've taken me at 4 a.m., at 6 a.m. to my practices. You've driven me, you know, hours to my practices. You've flown me across country. I don't want to give that up, but I want to just transition it to something different. Are you okay with that? If you are happy, if you want to do this, what's the worst they say to you? No? No, you didn't make it? No, you can't play? No, you don't belong? 
She's like, you already heard that, no. You've already heard that. That doesn't define you. You know? And so I said, yeah, what's the worst thing to say? No? Try me. Try me. And I called Rick back and I said, Rick, uh, I'm interested in playing rugby. He's like, oh, great. You know, I'll see you down in San Diego in two weeks. I was like, whoa. Isn't San Diego the Olympic Training Center? And he said, yep. I'll see you in two weeks. I said, Rick, I've never touched a rugby ball in my life. <laughs> he goes, that's okay. We have plenty here.
man, you can sneeze wrong at that national level, and they're like, see you, you know, and for here, it was like there's an innocence, like, I'm so happy you want to try rugby. I'm so happy that this sport is even on your radar. Come, let me show you. And if you think about it, this is a year, two years out from the Olympics. These girls are training here full time to be one of 12 that leave for Rio. And yet they are taking me under their wing, showing me every ounce of knowledge they know about the game. If you think of that, how selfless were they? How selfless were they that I potentially could take their spot on that Olympic team but they are showing me everything. That to me was like, wow. And I knew that from the highest level at the national level and the highest level at the, um, the Olympic level for hockey is that you had your way and you wouldn't share it because that was your spot. And that to me was such a difference. Bye, Sharon. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and, and so I'm gonna kind of fast forward through the process of trying out all that. So I was hooked from the beginning, day one, I was hooked. I ran around for five days. Um, the coach came and had a one-on-one with me and said, Lev, uh, you have an amazing sidestep. Your lateral mobility is unbelievable from hockey. You have an amazing kick from soccer. And I had no idea. I was just playing around, like trying to kick the ball and even just whiffing a couple times because the ball's kind of funky. And, you know, just, he, he could see it. He had this, he was a visionary. He could see that from the moment here I was, I was a hockey player, and the moment I was a soccer player, he said, we want her. I want you here, I want you to move here in next month, in March, and um, you know, and I want you here full time. And I said, well, I've got to finish college. Uh, I heard my mom in the back of my head, student, athlete, student first before the athlete, you know? <laughs> and I was like, okay, uh, my mom would kill me if I didn't finish school, this is the verbatim what I said. I'll come down in May, I graduate in May. And he goes, okay, maybe you can come down before that. And I said, I'll see what I can do. This is my fifth year. And I was really blessed to get five years full scholarship to, to just spread it out because I was playing two division one sports and getting an art degree. So the last year I had maybe an online science class I had to finish up. And they're like, no one cares about that. I'll move on. But it's really, it was really important to me that I was going to graduate from Wisconsin with an art degree and was going to finish up school before I started my professional career with, with, um, with rugby. And I did that, and I drove, I packed everything in my truck, and I drove all to San Diego, and that was March 2014. So three months later, after training with the girls, I went on my first tour to China, and it was amazing, and I fell in love, and I played my first international match after only playing three months of rugby. And I knew none of the rules. And they were like, that's okay, you just keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. And these girls were so patient with me, and the refs were so patient with me, and they all knew that I was crossing over, is what we call it, for a different sport. And um, yeah, it was amazing. So fast forward a uh, year and a half, we're getting ready a couple months before the Olympic team is named. And at this time, I'm training full-time in San Diego. I live about 15 minutes from the center. Um, we call the OTC the Olympic Training Center, um, so not to be confused. Um, we 15 minutes from the center, and then we, uh, you know, we, we have breakfast, lunch, and dinner there, and then we, the rest of the time is recovery. I was not splitting my time with soccer. I wasn't splitting my time with hockey. I didn't have school anymore. It was just rugby, and that was awesome. 
because it was the first time in my life that I was able to focus solely on one thing. And I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do rugby. I'm going to do rugby 110%, 210%. I'm going to give everything I have to rugby and try to make that Olympic team. This is my second chance. That's what I thought. And although that whole time, I never once thought, you're going to make this Olympic team. You have X amount of months before this or that. It was literally just so natural just to go through the motions of uh, you're, you don't know anything. It's OK. Be patient. You're learning. The past will come. You know, your tackle technique will come. To not put any time limit on something, which is interesting as when I was training for hockey, I was like, OK, by the time I'm 18, I'll have to play two Olympics, and then I'll run away and play you know, uh, professional soccer, and then eventually hockey will be professional, and then I'll play hockey. I had this timeline of where I wanted to go to school, what I wanted to do, how I wanted to graduate. And God was like, no, I'll show you what your timeline is. <laughs> and he showed me rugby, and I'm so blessed that I found it. Well, but again, he instilled that, that, that passion that doors open and close for a reason and to take risks and to not be afraid. Um, and so, fast forward, we're about to, the team's about to be named. I'm actually at, I'm in LA um, at, a, at a workshop, an Opus Day workshop, and there's the email, I'm actually giving a speech uh, to some of the, the young professionals that I think, um, I don't know if any of you know Mary Collette, but she was hosting this event and having different speakers come. And so this is the night that the team's going out. The coaches said Friday at 8 p.m., the Olympic team is going to be announced on email. And of course, my speech is at 8, 8 o'clock. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Mary Collette, I might have to use the restroom at 8. And I'll, I'll let you know, you know, like this is kind of going on, so I'm not, you know, I'm kind of crazy if I'm all over the place. And she goes, no, no, don't worry, don't worry. And as I was praying about it, and I got there, and I said, all right, actually, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have these young women be a part of my revealing. Like I'm gonna just, at eight o'clock, I'm gonna open up my phone, I'm gonna refresh my email, and it's either yes or no. And I'll have all these women either congratulate me or to just comfort me. <laughs>
inaugural rugby, like the first, sorry, first ever Olympic rugby team to play in the Olympics. Like, that's crazy. So everything that we're doing up until this moment is historic. You know, every, you know, jersey that we're putting on, every, you know, field we're walking on, it's the first. And that's crazy. And someone said, would you want to play in any other, like any other sport in the Olympics besides rugby? And I would say no, because trailblazing and being a pioneer in the sport of rugby for the first time was something I'll never forget. And it was an honor and an opportunity to play in that. But all that didn't really hit until I was in Houston for team processing. Basically, this convention center in Houston, you know, there's a pop-up Nike store, they popped up a Ralph Lauren store, they popped up all these things, and you have a piece of paper, and you go to each store, basically, and get all your Team USA gear. And I was in uh, the Ralph, Ralph Lauren, and I, there, there, there's a lady from England, she's fitting you, she's tailoring, she's saying, okay, honey, this is too big, or this is too tight, here, go roll these up, and she's pinning on the spot. And I looked at her and I was like, are these getting hemmed here? She said, oh yes, we have 300 seamstress backs back behind there. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and I realized that the gravity of the situation is like, they have to process 222 athletes in one day. And all these people are sewing and hemming their things. And it's crazy because we all need to look a certain way for opening ceremonies or for closing ceremonies of what we're wearing. I was like, take me there. I need to see these, these people. And she's like, oh no, no, like, you can't take any photos. Like, it's fine. I was like, I don't care. And so then she takes me behind. And of course, there's, there's all these sewing machines and all these people running around, you know, and, and just cutting her clothes and sewing and hemming them. And it was unbelievable. And I was like, all these people behind the scenes, all for this opening ceremony gear. And you know, you kind of think about it like, oh, this is kind of not cute, or I don't know if I can wear this hat, I pull it off, and you realize like, that it's so much more than just you and that feeling and that kind of selfish thought. It's look at all these people, these men and women doing this sewing and hemming for you. And I just had to stop them all. I was like, hey, I'm from Alaska. Hi, like I'm on the rugby team. We don't do this often, or first time. And so 
way it works is that if you don't win your semifinal game, you automatically play for fifth place. So fifth place, first place, fifth place, you can only lose one game and be in fifth place, which is crazy. And so in the rugby community, they understood that the Americans did amazing getting fifth place. But you come back and you're like, we didn't care what place you got. You showed that Americans could play rugby and that we were in with the top teams in the world. And it was unbelievable. And nobody got Zika. <laughs> so that you know that it was great. We were coming in deep. It was fine. And see one mosquito, you know, hyperbolizing, whatever. It was great. And um, the, we saw Bud. We, you know, we drank Caparinas. Like, we did it all. I'm saying it wrong, but you know what I mean. For those of you who know how to pronounce it better. Thank you. Um, and then, you know, at the at the end, we were able to spend time with our family and go to different places. And I wanted to go to Christ the Redeemer statue. So I said, all right, like, this is it. I wanted to go with my whole family. And my older brother's kind of falling away from the Catholic faith. And, you know, my twin sister, we're always competing in these things. But she's kind of, you know, falling a little bit away. And my mom and my dad are just really about Catholics. And they said, like, everyone's going to Christ the Redeemer. We're all going up. And we all went up. And my brother had... He's a pilot in the Air Force, and he was stationed in Japan, and so he had three of his pilot friends with him. And every day of the tournament, they wore something crazy red, white, and blue. So he's in, these, he's in this, like, skin-tight American flag onesie, like, with three of his other, like, pilot friends, like, on the train up to Christ the Redeemer. And, and we can't miss us. Like, we're the, the loud Americans going to the Christ the Redeemer. And um, we get up there, and it's beautiful. I mean, it's literally like, opened across all of Brazil and it is magnificent. I mean truly a wonder of the world. If you got a chance, get a chance to go up there, don't pass it up. And as I'm looking around, I'm just in awe of the splendor of the statue. And of course as an artist I'm like reading about how it's built and who built it and all these things. The process to me is really phenomenal in my mind as an artist. Like what made how did you make it? Because I mean life, all of our lives are a process. So beautiful is that each thing shapes us. And anyway, I can talk all about art and all that another time, but uh, as I was reading about this, and my brother goes, runs up and says, Hey, we're leaving, we're getting ready to go. And I'm, okay, I go back down, and I see this little girl, she's so scared because uh, it's pretty high. Like the stairs to go up to the crest steamer, it overlooks like you know, cliffs and the city, and she's really scared to go up. And I, I noticed, I was like, you know, hey, are, do you want a hand coming up? And she grabs my hand and I walk with her up the statue, up the stairs to the statue. And I was like, thank you. Like, I had tried so many times. She just didn't want me around. And I was like, no worries. It kind of just takes, you know, maybe a little somebody you don't know. And uh, I'm thinking, like, stranger, danger, like, all these things. Like, I broke every rule. Like, I broke her hand. Like, it's okay. Anyways, like, God, God works mysterious ways. Okay. And, and so then, like, You never know, like, there might be 
be more people up there. And so I run up there and I ask, I find the father of the daughter. I listen, I saw your daughter had a big wish foundation pin. You did too. Is there anyone that is in the foundation? He goes, oh, my older daughter. And she's over there. And he brings me to her. And I like, look at her and I say, you know, I'm praying for you. This is really beautiful. And she goes, there's actually 32 of us here. So all of the Make-A-Wish Foundation, they fly, these, their last wishes are to be at the Olympics, to meet Olympians. And so I was like, all right, and I'm getting chills right now, but my brother's like, well, we gotta round them up! So he's like, in this American flag, once you round it up, Make-A-Wish, we got a pin, okay, come here, we got a pin, okay, come here, we got a pin, come here, come here. And so at, at the foot of the cross, literally, are 32 Make-A-Wish Foundation kids and their family, and it is the most amazing uh, experience I've ever had. And I, I just tell them, I said, listen, I'm a rugby player, I'm an Olympian, I just played. Um, on behalf of all of Team USA, we just want to say we love you, and we're praying for you every day. And, and it was just like, my brother's in tears, his other friends are in tears, I'm in tears. And it was just an amazing, amazing um, a moment. And so out of all of that, out of all of Rio and the build-up to it is probably one of my favorite moments. Um, and I just want to leave you, leave you guys with, I'm really excited for what you, your future holds, and I'm really excited for the opportunities that you uh, pursue, and I'm really excited for you to take risks in life and not be afraid. So thank you.